Good morning, family. Good to see you guys. We are in a, uh, we're in a two-part mini-series, and today is the second part of that series called Navigating the Letdown, this time uh, after uh, Advent season. Now, this morning we're going to be talking about how people change. Is it even possible for, for people to change? Maybe you've wondered that. Uh, or are all of our efforts just a big waste of our time? They're just a big waste of our energy. Uh, today, our main passage is going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, but we're going to be going to some other places as well. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pause and pray. Merciful God, who seeks out and finds and rescues and restores sinners. Thank you for who you are. And Lord, I, I confess I'm a pretty self-centered man. And I need you to change me. Don't leave me like this. The way you found me, change me. I ask that you help me see and behold and encounter your glory today. And what I pray for myself, I pray for your church. And Holy Spirit, you would help us take in and behold the glory of God through Christ the Son. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, last week we talked about the difference that Christ makes in the world. Uh, Christ is going to come again. There's going to be a second advent, and he's going to come again not as a baby this time, but as the Lord and the judge of the universe. Uh, this morning we're going to bring things just a little bit closer to home into our neighborhood. Uh, well, with this question, well, so while I'm waiting, what difference does Christ make in my life? If last week was what difference does Christ make in the world, then what difference does Christ make in me right now? Uh, we just celebrated New Year's Day, and for many of us, this is a day that, that's a day that we make so, uh, resolutions, we set goals for our life, where the direction our life is going to take. And I just want to affirm this morning that impulse. That is a good uh, impulse to want to set goals, to want to walk towards a better future. It's a really good impulse to have. Um, especially if you're someone who claims to be born again, that's a really good impulse to want to walk towards a brighter, uh, renewed future because after all, we are, right? So besides eating healthy, reducing our debt, getting better educated, we should also set goals towards becoming someone that thinks and speaks and acts and makes decisions and lives more like Christ in the world. 
That should be somewhere on our things to do, our goals that we're aiming at. But when we fail to change, despite our best efforts, when we stumble towards the end of another year instead of striding towards the end of the year, it can make us doubt that becoming like Christ is even possible. I don't know if you've experienced that. I definitely have experienced that. But the good news of Jesus is that Jesus came to make transformation of our life a reality, not just a hope or a wish. And that's what we're talking about today, how we change. We need to understand how we change beyond just, I hope that happens. He changes us by his power, progressively, and through participation. I got my three Ps. I got full pastor alliteration today, okay? (laughs) Be easy for you to follow. Christ changes us by his power, progressively, and through participation. So first, we're transformed by God's power. Uh, What I want to do is I want to just kind of look again at this this entire passage that we've just read because Paul compresses a lot of stuff in just a few verses. It took no effort at all for me to get lost in the weeds this week while I was trying to study this passage out because instead of painting this picture of how God changes us, Paul's kind of given us the calculus formula. He, he's, he's, instead of telling us a story how God changes, he's kind of given us like the floor plan, the blueprints to read. And so let's look over this again. We'll go in verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all... Paul's including himself in this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul is referencing this miraculous story of Moses who after meeting with God on the mountaintop had had to put a veil over his face because it was shining so brightly. He didn't want to blind the people. I couldn't even look at him. His face was just like, I guess, illuminating light. He was different. You can go back to Genesis 34, 29 when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God and he would often go into the the tent of meeting to talk to God meet with God. So basically here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. Being in the presence of God as revealed by Christ the Lord is the arena of transformation. Like that's where we change. Beholding and encountering how powerful, beautiful, wise, and merciful towards us God is through Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Christ is the radiant glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. John chapter 1 tells us that the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us and we have beheld. We have seen his glory. Glory as the only son 
from the Father. In other words, when you and I encounter the living God, and he is a living God after all, when you and I encounter the living God through the work of Christ, we will be different. Amen indeed. We will be different. Much like Moses, when he first encountered God's presence on the mountain, he left with his face shining. We're going to reflect his glory in the world. Listen, we cannot encounter the living God and remain the same. That's why this is in our mission statement. We are a church that is developing disciples of Jesus who have truly encountered the gospel. Not just had a Bible lesson, not just heard words about it. We want people to encounter Christ. He is a living God. You and I cannot encounter God and be unchanged. And so every part of our being is changed by our encounter with God's glory in Christ. Our moral character begins to change. How we use our God-given abilities, that starts to change. We li- how we live out our purpose in the world begins to change. How we even think of our purpose in the world starts to change. Our knowledge of what's actually true begins to change. From top to bottom, we are changed in our being. Paul is saying that when you and I truly see Jesus for who he is, not merely as a teacher of ethics, not merely as a person who we are to emulate by his good example, but as the radiance of God's beauty and power in flesh, Spending time in his presence will change us. When he becomes more than words in a sermon, when he becomes more than words printed in a Bible, when we are able to behold and encounter that glory in Christ, we are going to be transformed. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Do you want to be transformed? Do you want to be transformed, then you must continue to behold. You must continue to gaze at, encounter the glory of God as reflected in Christ. See, there's a slight problem, though, with our ability to behold how glorious God is in Christ. We've got veils over our faces. Paul's speaking metaphorically. It's not saying that there's a literal cloth over our face. But like there's this hindrance, there's this blinder between us and God. When Paul talks about a veil, he's, he's referencing the hardness of our heart towards God's glory. There's this natural resistance that our hearts has, have toward the glory of God. Have you sensed that in your life? Have you ever felt that or encountered that? Instead of seeing God as valuable, most valuable, not just valuable, but instead of saying most valuable, as most beautiful, most radiant, and worthy of our obedience, day in, day out, we see him as repugnant when we look at how glorious he is. We go, "Mm, I want to turn away from that. I don't want to look at that. I mean, the very notion that we would need saving, that we would need to be recreated and restored and renewed by God implies that somehow we're not okay. It implies that we're in trouble. In fact, it implies that we're too weak to do all of that ourselves and we don't really like that. So his glory actually offends our level of glory because I, I think I'm pretty great, actually. And he's saying that, this is saying that God's greater than me? 
He's more glorious than me. See how that offends our level of glory. And besides all that, what a silly way to save people. Dying? The guy dying needs to be saved. I mean, I could think of a better plan than this, right? See, God's glory even offends our intelligence. As offensive, don't I tell you? You want me to believe that? Is this making sense, guys? I think about it like this. Maybe you think of yourself as you're really good at something. There's something you can do, and you're really good at doing that. You're very competent at that. Or maybe you think that you're an expert in a particular subject, like engineering or something, okay? Pick a subject, and you think of yourself as an expert in that subject. So whenever that subject comes up, you easily display your depth of knowledge in that conversation to everyone else that's in that conversation. I'll just let everyone else talk and get their thoughts and opinions, and then I'm going to show them how much I know. Your expertise in that subject or in that thing you're doing, that's your glory. And everyone goes, wow, that's, that's glorious. But then one day you encounter someone that knows even more than you do on that subject. You may have got a PhD and they got three. <laughs> in half the amount of time it took your little brain to get that PhD. <laughs> you tracking with me? You see the work that their hands have accomplished. It's a much greater level of difficulty that they have accomplished. And it's much more intricate detail work that their hands have accomplished. They prove that, that you are not really the expert you thought you were on this subject. In fact, you're not even in the same league. You probably ought to put your hand over your mouth when they talk to you so you don't stick your foot in it, right? They make you look like amateur hour. They make you look like you're just a novice, and you've been living your whole life thinking you're an expert, and everyone believed you. That's hard to handle, amen? When you bu- I've bumped into people like that in my life. It's a hard thing to handle. So what happens? Their glory is actually damaging to your glory and to your ego. So you don't want to be in the same room as that person because you feel bad about your glory and what you think you're an expert at. You definitely don't want to continue to continue to encounter that person because your glory doesn't even compare to theirs. In fact, you'd rather that their glory be veiled. So not everyone else sees it. You guys see? You see, we can never come close enough to God's glory to be transformed by it. Why? Because our hard-heartedness separates us from it. But God is mercifully taking care of that problem as well through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 15 through 17 again. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, he, he's mean the scriptures are read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So wherever the Spirit is doing this thing, it's the Lord who's doing it, and there's freedom. That's what he's saying. Here's the point. Beholding Christ is the arena of transformation, and the Holy Spirit is the agent of transformation. You can think about it like this. He is the person who brings us into the arena, so that transformation can actually happen. He's one that puts us in the car, or the cart or whatever, and takes us into, and there's God's glory, and now I can see it, and I can be changed by it. 
The Holy Spirit removes our hard-heartedness just like, the, like it's a veil that we kept between us and God every time we encountered His glory. Through the Spirit working in our hearts, we now have new desires. He gives us those new desires. We freely obey the Lord. We're actually able to do what we want to do now. We are free to live his way in the world. We, are fr- we freely think his way about life, his way about difficult, complex situations. Because of the Spirit, we can now freely admire and behold God's glory. That's the freedom that Paul's talking about. Jesus himself said it this way in John 16. He, that's the Holy Spirit, will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. What he will make known to you. The Spirit takes the life-altering glory of Christ and helps us experientially know it so that we will be changed. Listen, we need to know all this if we are going to be different people by the end of 2019. Like, we're, just, we're not doing systematic theology today just for the fun of it, okay? We need to know that transformation happens when we're in the presence of God and that it is possible for us to be in the presence of God. And this is how it works out. This is how that happens. You can change. I can change. You can change because God the Father is at work through God the Holy Spirit to remove your hard-heartedness and to bring you into the very presence of God's glory as revealed by God the Son. This is a gorgeous Trinitarian passage and we worship a triune God. We need to know how he works in our life. If you have received Jesus, then the Spirit is at work in you, giving you new, holy desires to replace your wicked desires. The Spirit is at work to energize your feet for obedience when that obedience is difficult for you to do. The Spirit is at work to help you come closer to God so that you can be transformed by His presence. This is good news, guys. You see, moralism says that we are changed because we employ all of our power and our resources to make it happen. But the gospel says that we are changed because God is actively employing all his power and all his resources to make it happen. And that's the difference between moralism, Christianity, and the gospel. And secondly, we are transformed progressively. We're transformed progressively. Let's look at verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Being transformed into the image of God is not a sudden event. All our sinful desires are not instantly put to death when we accept Christ. Although some of them are. We, we, do not, we do not suddenly, we do not fully live in complete compliance and obedience to all of God's commandments in a moment. Although we do for some. 
we do for some. Paul says that we are being transformed. It is a process that takes our entire life, brothers and sisters. Isn't that good news? Transformation is also incremental. So there's a building, this upon this. It's not just this little cycle that's never ending. You need to know that or you're going to lose hope. It is incremental. Paul says, from one degree of glory to another. Just like in natural life, where we have growth spurts, where our bodies change rapidly in a really short amount of time, sometimes that happens. Well, so also, supernaturally, we can have growth spurts where we mature more rapidly in a short season. That can happen. Yes and amen. But the usual pattern of change is incremental. It is a constant plodding in the same direction. Day in and day out, Sunday after Sunday, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. I'm just, I'm just one step at a time going in the same direction, just plodding along. And sometimes I got a lot of fruit, and sometimes it's just kind of lean. And sometimes we have failures, and we fail in our, in descent, fall into sin, and sometimes we have victories. But we're steadily taking ground. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, <laughs> 20 years later, we look back and go, how did I get here? Because you incrementally we're going the same direction day in and day out. There's not an app for this, America. <laughs> There's not an app for this. Week in and week out, we take ground incrementally. It is really important for us to understand that our transformation into the image of Christ is progressive and incremental. Why? Because we can get discouraged if we don't see big changes really quickly. And God doesn't want you and I to be discouraged and quit. Satan does, but God doesn't. We can get frustrated when we fall into the same sin patterns again and again and again. And are you kidding me again? Like, you guys understand what I'm talking about? You ever felt this way? Anybody ever felt this way? I can't believe I haven't mastered this. I know it. I know what to do. I know what's right. And I haven't mastered this yet after 15 years? Well, here's the truth. You are mastering it. You are mastering it. God knows our frame and how much change we can handle without being crushed. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? Jesus said it like this in John 16. I have much more, not just more, <laughs> I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. If I were to tell you all of it, you'd die. You can't bear it. Because I know you and I know your frame. I know what you can handle. Jesus is a great leader because he doesn't crush us with the truth of all the things in our life that need to change all at once. He knows that we can only bear so much truth and we can only bear so much change at one time. And so he gives it to us incrementally. Isn't that great? Isn't that gorgeous? It's good, it's good to feel frustrated sometimes that we're not fully like our king yet. That's a good impulse. 
but don't let that overwhelm you. God is being wise and transforming us from one degree of glory to the next because he's not making cosmetic improvements in your life. That's why. You need to know that. You need to know how you change so that you can change. He is uprooting with pickaxe and shovel deeply embedded idols that you worship and I worship. He is taking out of us and changing things we treasure the most. So praise his name. He's doing it at a rate we can handle. Think of it this way. So you tried to change a part of your life into the image of, image of Christ so you could image Christ in this world. Maybe it, maybe it was words that come out of your mouth or the jokes that come out of your mouth or maybe it was like you, you get so angry about everything or may, maybe it was that you have difficulty keeping your word. Maybe it was lust and lustful thoughts. Maybe it was just trying to complete a Bible reading plan because you want God's word to be a part of your, a little bit of your everyday life. Or maybe it was prayer, so that prayer would be part of your daily rhythm of your life, okay? And you failed. Again. For like the 20th time. This morning. <laughs> okay? Listen, progressive transformation means that you don't have to quit when you fail. That's the significance of it for you, guys. Here's what you do instead of quitting. Instead, confess quickly to Christ and to whoever else was involved. Confess your failure to Christ, learn something from your failure, and recognize the progress you've made by God's grace up to this point. And then, turn around and start walking towards Christ again. Good news, your failure is not final because your transformation is progressive. You can start again today. I'm serious. You can start again today. The goal is progress, not perfection. And progress is not always going to be fast, and it's not going to always chart up and to the right. It's going to look like this. But it's going that way. It's incremental. This is a one big reason among many why if we are going to be serious about being transformed, we must be committed, a committed member to a local church. It takes a church to develop a disciple. You're not that great to do that by yourself with you and a Bible. We cannot always tell if we're changing or not. But you know what? Others can. Others who have spent years with us in our life looking at us, they can tell that, that, that God is at work changing our life. They can bear witness that the Spirit is changing us when we don't see much progress or all we see is the last big failure that we have and that can encourage us to continue to follow Christ. We participate in this together, which is the third point. We are transformed by our participation 
Now, it'd be really easy for us to all leave here thinking that we play no role in transformation. I mean, we could leave thinking, look, hey, look, Lingle said it's God's power from start to finish. That's all I heard. I just quit listening after that. It's God's power that changes me from start to middle to finish so I can just relax and just kind of wait. I can just rest. Since God is inevitably and progressively going to change me, I'm passive in the entire process. Well, that's not exactly true. You see, realizing that transforming into the image of Christ is made inevitable by God's power working in us should actually inspire us to participate. If that theology demotivates you, you've got it wrong. You're looking at it from the wrong end of the scope. Turn that around. Since we know that this is going to happen, we can participate with confidence. What I mean is you know that your energy is not wasted. Your time is not wasted. Your prayers are not wasted. Your studying the scripture is not wasted. It's a good place to invest all of that energy. Instead of thinking about our transformation as we'll just let go and let God, a more biblical understanding would be grab hold and let God. That's what we do, guys. Paul talks a lot about our role and how we change, both as an individual and corporately as the church, helping each other change. Colossians 3 is just one of many examples. He says, but now you must put them all away. Who do? You do. That's bad grammar, but good theology, all right? (laughs) But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off. I thought Christ put it off. He did. So you can put it off. There's no chance of you putting that off if he hasn't already put it off. So you put that off. The old self with its practices. You could just substitute the word habits. The habits. You de- we all develop habits. And habits are how we change, not resolve. It's habits. You put off the old self with all the old habits and you've put on. So there's a putting off. There's a putting on that we do. We put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We must actively participate in becoming more like Christ. Hebrews says, strive to enter his rest. Paul says, put off and put on. If we are going to truly change, we must participate. Paul tells us here, put, make specific, set specific, not generic, spiritual goals for your life. He lists some of them there. We want to specifically put to death how we lie to a specific person. Not just help me be a better Christian. That's not a goal. You can't tell if you're doing that or not. But you can tell whether you're lying or not to this person or not. Does this make sense? This is helpful? Or, or maybe how we act maliciously toward another person at work. We want to specifically be quicker to forgive our spouse or our child or our parent or our friend. We, we must put practical steps in place. We don't go from A to Z. We go from A, then B step, then, C, then to Z. We've got to put some steps in there to reach these spiritual goals so that we might be transformed. For example, maybe that's for you, starting a Bible reading plan to nudge you to pick up your Bible a little bit every day because you know 
Being in God's word gets God's word in you. It puts you in the presence of God. And Paul just said, when we're in the presence of God, we're changed, right? So here's a practical step. Start a Bible reading plan. I started a plan this week. It's 10 days. Woo, 10 days. <laughs> right? And you know what happens after that I'm going to do? I'm going to do another 10-day plan. And then maybe if, if I can do that, I might do another. That's 30. That's a habit now. Maybe the habit will kick in. I don't know. I feel like that's a goal at this point in my life I could do. Or maybe for you, it's you plan to make an effort to get to know people in your life group. Because last summer was great and there was a lot of surface talk. But you know you need partners to help you change. And so you're going to get to know them and open yourself up to them this year. What is something that God wants to transform in you? Could you identify it specifically? Not just like be a better parent. Like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Or a better Christian. Could you identify it specifically like Paul does? Because if you can't identify it, you can't see it and you can't change it. It's just this elusive thing. What is something that God wants, just, just something, that God wants to transform in you, brothers and sisters? Identify it. Maybe even ask someone else that knows you because they might be able to help see that. Identify that goal to aim at and develop a small habit to help you walk towards it. Habits are powerful. We can change because God is powerfully working in us through the Spirit to help us behold His glory and so since we are sure that his power is at work, we can confidently set a goal and put effort towards walking towards that goal. It's a good use of effort and energy. God is with you. Go with God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly, heavenly Father and mighty God, we love you. We bless your name today. We thank you that you love us as you find us. But Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us the way you find us. Transform us, please, Jesus, into the image of Christ. Identify the idols we secretly worship. And, and help us take them out because they're killing us. Help us identify the things that veil us from your great glory that changes us. And Holy Spirit, remove that veil more and more and more and more than you did last year. God, we do not want to be the same people with just a fresh coat of paint on us. That is not a life we want to live. It's not worth living. We want you to change us in deep places, in permanent ways for your glory. And so I pray to that end, we ask you towards that end, in the name of Jesus, through the Spirit, amen.